This is Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. Coming up, the new way to measure pass rushers' explosiveness, thanks to Next Gen Stats. And our one burning question asks, is there just one path left for the Bills to reach the playoffs? Who took my turkey leg? Bills by the Numbers, Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker and Bills Insider Chris Brown here with you as always and we begin with a difficult conversation for Bills fans as the team has hit a bit of a rough patch in their season. We know that every team runs into adversity every season, Steve, but losers of three of their last five, have the Bills hit the skids here? Yeah, no question. They're not playing as well as they did. I think you can cut chalk it up to a couple of things. Guys who can't play, either from the COVID list or injuries, that's a huge factor. I think the guys the most, the guys who have had the most effect in their absence that the Bills have missed the most have been John Feliciano and Spencer Brown. The offensive line has not been able, particularly in the Jacksonville game, they struggled to protect Josh Allen. They couldn't get it done. And I think that was the difference that kept the Bills from scoring even anywhere near their 30-point threshold for the season. Just six points. That... That speaks to something systemic down down. They they could not protect Josh. Jacksonville had their way with him. He couldn't get comfortable. They couldn't move the football. And that was the real difference. And then that if you can give them just one touchdown in that game and give them the win in that, everything seems a little different today, even with the way that they played the Colts. I knew the Colts, you and I both knew the Colts game was going to be a rough one. Even though it was at home, the Colts come in running the football extremely well. They've got it and for me, I know this ha- this makes an enormous difference for a football team. Having a chip on your shoulder with a team that put you out of the playoffs just eight months ago or nine months ago or t- whatever it was, that's big for a football team. And the Colts coming in here with a big chip on their shoulder with a new quarterback, running the football as well as they have, mm. uh, winning five out of their last seven, and the two games they lost were in overtime. Yeah, they were playing really well. So you knew that Colt game was going to be an uphill battle for the Bills. It was going to be a game, even though they were favored, that Colt team was going to give you a big swing and a swing and a punch in the mouth. So, you know, the, the Jacksonville game is the one that you still look back on and say, wow, we couldn't get it together. But I, I blame that one on the personnel that was not on the field. All right, that's fair. I, I think if there is a flaw for this team, as there seems to be for most AFC clubs, even the ones in the playoff race, and the Bills are in that group now, I think it's offensively oriented more than defense. On the whole, even though the defense got run over last week against the Colts, the defense has played much more consistent football than the offense has this season, and especially in this last five-game stretch. And I think it goes past and beyond the offensive line, and I think we saw it against the Colts in the last game. This is a passing game that relies on two things. Josh Allen decision-making and accuracy, and receivers' ability to separate. We, we have largely separators in the passing game at the receiver position and even Dawson Knox. I saw them having trouble separating consistently from a, a defensive back group in the, in the Colts that has struggled this season. It was shocking for me to see them not win handily, down in and down out, series in and series out, And it presented a problem to the timing of the passing game. It made Josh hesitant at times. 
in where to deliver the football. One of his interceptions happens because he hesitated, threw off his back foot. So <laughs> I, I think there, there are layers to some of the inconsistencies on offense, and that concerns me. I do think they can get it corrected, but will we see it corrected? That's, that's the big thing for me. So taking a look at where things stand now, Steve, the Bills are in the seventh and final AFC playoff seed as we record this prior to their Thanksgiving night game. They are second in the division, and while they very much control their own destiny with two games against New England, as far as the division title is concerned, our one burning question is the following. Is the AFC East title the only way for the Bills to reach the playoffs? Now? At this point, you, have, you can't say that definitively. Certainly it looks that way now, but there are so many teams in that horse race. Certainly the Bills would drop some tiebreakers, but as this season progresses down the road, you can't even know that the tiebreakers are going to go in against them. Um, a lot of AFC teams still have to play the rest of the AFC conference. The Bills are only 5-4 and four in the conference. It's not good enough, really, for a wild card, unless they come up with a tie with somebody and they go to the secondary tiebreakers and they win that. Uh, I still think there's going to be um, – tiebreakers are coming into effect in this playoff race. There's absolutely no question about it. You're going to have three wild card teams getting in that are going to have to go through the tie-breaking scenario. Yep. you got ten teams right now with six wins or better – Tennessee's got a rough road down the stretch, and and to their credit, they've won a couple of games against the Rams, most notably, that, you know, they kind of did it with smoke and mirrors. The Rams spotted them 14 points, and they win by less than that. Uh, and then they took it on the chin to Houston. So the, the Titans are a little bit wavering right now. you got to think they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. So, too, the Baltimore Ravens, New England, the Bills, and the Ravens, uh, Kansas City, Cincinnati, all and the Chargers as well. All those teams have been up as high as the two seed, and now they're down in the in the wild card range. So th there's a lot of shuffling that's going to go on. It's not the only way to the playoffs for the Buffalo Bills, obviously, um, and they still have a way to get in the wild card round. But it's it's going to be dicey for a lot of teams that are not winning their division. To paint the picture as to how tightly packed it could be, just assuming the Bills beat the Saints this week on Thanksgiving night, there are upwards of five teams after all the games are played come Sunday night. That could be seven and four, five, including the Bills. So if you think <laughs> that the wild card is perfectly fine way for the Bills to get into the playoffs, that is a various, very dangerous game to be playing for the Bills and any other team that's in that spot you got to come hell or high water try to win the division because your path is guaranteed. In this wild card yeah. pack this year, it is not guaranteed, and it's going to be crowded. The Bills have right now just one head-to-head -head tiebreaker, Kansas City. After that, it comes down to conference record. Buffalo will have a problem there. As Steve mentioned, they're 5-4 and four now. Sweeping New England might be a prerequisite by the time this team reaches December, there's more than five teams that could be seven and four because if Baltimore loses, they'll be seven and four. Cleveland will climb back into the conversation at seven and five. Chargers could be seven and four. Seven of Chargers could be seven and four. Bills, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. could be seventy four. Uh, you know, and then the the Chiefs and New England have have played eleven games. They haven't had their bye yet, so they're you know they're neither of neither is New England. And yeah, that's right. The Chiefs, New England, and Cincinnati and Baltimore, yeah, I don't know who, uh, Tennessee, they haven't had their bye week yet. So they've got, you know, they, they could be eight wins 
which would keep them at the top. But, man, there's a lot of teams clustered with seven wins yeah. and just four losses. And, right and while now. I realize a lot of these teams have to play each other, particularly the teams in the AFC West, you know, they got to kind of play each other, much like the Bills have three division games remaining, which are their only AFC conference games remaining. The Bills have played nine of their 12 conference games already. There's, there's little room or little on-ramp left for them to improve that record. The best they can do is eight and four. Um, if they split with New England, you would presume they're seven and five. That doesn't give me a ton of confidence that they're going to win tiebreakers if it comes down to that and they're a wild card team. That's, that's the concern for me, knowing a lot of these other teams, granted, for better or for worse, have a lot more conference games left to enhance their chances of being in the driver's seat when it comes to some of those wild cards. Right, spots. and it comes down to it as well. The bill, It may come down to the last three weeks of the season where they've got the Patriots, Falcons, and Jets, and all three of those games may, may have great meaning. Um, they're they're going to have yeah. to push it all the way till the end. You remember last year where they were thirteen and three, could not could not get put out of the playoffs, and they, you know, they come out and without having to win that game against the Dolphins, and they did, but they didn't have to. And the Falcons and the Jets games, there's no doubt, are going to have great meaning for this Bills team because yeah. you got to think they're not going to be out of it. But you don't want to go into that scenario thinking, gosh, we need this team to beat that team and this team to beat that team. Uh, because of the close-knit race that's there. I mean, there are literally 10 teams that have a shot at the one seed. The one seed, not the seven. Yeah. This isn't like a like in the old Sabres where it's a heroic weight race to, the play, to get to eighth so you can get in the playoff. This is the one seed. The one seed. It's unbelievable how close the race is all the way down deep through the conference. You just don't want to play this game of musical chairs. Right. And the music stops and you don't have a seat. Right. A bit of an alarming conversation there. But time now for the numbers game. And this is an area that will play into our conversation about pass rush get off that we'll get into shortly. But right now, Steve, you are going to be tasked with naming as many of the top 10 players in sacks so far this season. A few of these names may surprise you. So let's see how many of the top 10 you can get. OK, well, there's some obvious ones like. Matt Judon. Matthew Judon is on the list with 10 and a half, tied for third in the league right now. I know he didn't play this last week. T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt has 12 and a half, second in the league right now. Okay, then Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett leads the league, 13. I haven't heard his name, but Aaron Donald? Aaron Donald is not on this list for sex. Yes. Okay. The guy, uh, the guys from Tennessee. The guy, uh, was it Simmons? Not Jeffrey Simmons. He's the defensive tackle. But you're on the right oh, okay. track. Okay, so defensive ends only. Yeah. Well, no, it's not defensive ends only. These are the leaders in sacks. Really, in the league? Yeah. And Simmons isn't on it. Not right What's now. What's the other guy? The other guy. Um, <laughs> I'll give you what, a hint. Landry. It's, well, yeah, Landry. Harold Landry. Okay. Yes. All right. I was gonna say it's not Bud Dupree. All right. <laughs> um, okay, four for four. Come on. Bosa, Jimmy, Joey, not Joey, Joey Bosa. Not Joey Bosa. The other Bosa. (laughs) Nick Bosa. Nick. Give me the other Bosa. Nick. Nick Bosa is on the list. Yes, tied for fifth with 10. Uh, From Kansas City, the Jones kid, Chris Jones. Not Chris Jones. Nope, not on the list. So you've got half of them already. That guy 
that I'd Who's never that heard guy? of. That guy that I'd never heard of before this offseason that everybody wanted that went to Cincinnati. Hendrick Hendrickson. Yes, Trey Hendrickson is on the list. Very good. Nine I did and not know sacks. who he was. Now he's like, okay. Former um, sixth round pick. He really made a name for himself. I got a name. Josh Allen. It's not Josh Allen. Sorry. You made the Jacksonville Josh Allen. You watched his best game of the year. Josh Allen. All right. <laughs> um, you got. How about out Yannick Ngakwe from Vegas? Yannick Ngakwe is not on this list. I'm going to start throwing the hints in here, okay? You're going to have to. Three players on this list from one team. There are three the players on this sacks? list. From one team, top ten list in sacks. There are three Cam players Hayward. from the same team. Not Cameron Hayward. It's not. It is an <laughs> NFC team. Oof. All right. Um, three players from the same team. The same team in sacks. That is correct. The current. They have one player that is tied for third in the league in sacks right now. They have one player that is tied for fifth in the league in sacks right now and one player that is tied for 10th in the league in sacks. One is a very familiar name to you. The other two, less so. I will say... This is a NFC team that is, you know, right there at the top of the conference. Let me check the standings then. Who's at the top of the NFC? Oh, Arizona Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones is number 10 with eight sacks. JJ doesn't have that many sacks. Does no, he? he doesn't. Who's the other guy? Who are the other two guys? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Arizona's roster? Yeah. Marcus Golden. He has 10 sacks. And with 10 and a half. I'm, I'm suffering from a little bit of Buffalo Bills myopia here. because Hassan Reddick. Yeah, Arizona's and a half playing too good. I get that. The other two on the list, Steve, from Chicago, Robert Quinn, 10 sacks, and Micah Parsons from Dallas with eight. He's tied with Chandler Jones, so that is your list. Wow. Bonus question, team, which team leads the NFL in sack percentage? Arizona. No. <laughs> New England. No. I'll give you one more guess. AFC or NFC? NFC. NFC, let me check standings. Checks his notes. I don't know if that's going to help. He will say, <laughs> he will say, Minnesota. It's Chicago. God. Chicago leads the NFL in let sack say, percentage through week 10. Let me just say that for the first time in week 11. Our, this season of, since FanDuel, took, this is, I sucked on this, the, you did okay. You game. did okay out of the gate. You were five for your I first six. I, was, I thought I was dashing to a straight That's run. That's right. And, and then I, you tripped at about oh 70 gosh. yards of the 100 oh my yard gosh. dash. I didn't even finish the That's race. okay. We're, hey, the, sometimes you, you can't horrible. be horrible. Uh, can't have your best game all the time. I apologize to our listeners. Uh, good. Per- it was an okay performance in the numbers game, that Steve. Was not a- good. Attention, daily start, fantasy I'm players. Start cheating on yeah. these things. This numbers game. Right now, new customers at FanDuel can get a twenty percent deposit bonus up to five hundred dollars on your first deposit. Just sign up today by going to FanDuel.com/bills. That's FanDuel.com/bills. FanDuel, the official partner 
of the Buffalo Bills. We move along now as we address the new way of measuring explosiveness of pass rushers thanks to next-gen stats and their on-field tracking technology. And first, let me say that this player tracking technology on the field, pretty cool stuff. Uh, But now, NFL analytics departments are applying the data collected by the tracking to develop models to assess different aspects of player performance. Steve, the one we wanted to discuss today is pass rush get-off time. It's called NGS get-off, which as you might expect, measures how quick a defensive lineman gets off the line of scrimmage at the snap. First, Steve, the numbers which were calculated through week nine had a couple of bills on the list. Jerry Hughes, 10th on the list, ahead of players like Nick Bosa, TJ Watt, and Shaq Barrett with yeah. a get-off time of .79 seconds. A.J. Epinesa had the second fastest time in the league at .75 seconds. Do those figures surprise you for those two players? I would say, yeah, they kind of do. Epinesa... Uh, he's changed himself. Now, he came into the league a big dude, and he had struggled last year with his weight. He had trouble keeping it and getting into a routine where it felt comfortable for him to play at a lighter weight. This year, he was much better early in the season. But the Bills' pass rush, while analytically it has is done very well, it, they, it's respected in the analytics world about being a good pass rush. They get home, they win, their win rate is good, they get guys beating one-on-one, you know, all of that stuff, but they don't get a lot of sacks. So it does surprise me. I mean, they, they do have some guys in there that have some pretty good analytics numbers, but they don't. it doesn't translate into big sack numbers and pressures and hits and all of yada, yada. And that's the surprising thing about it. So while I, I'm not surprised we have somebody on that list, because we do have some young guys there that are kind of right. fresh and, and explosive and coming off the edge, Rousseau, uh, Boogie Basham, Epineza, all three really young defensive ends. I'm yeah, I'm surprised that you know they don't have better sack numbers and kind of out splashy right. and aren't aren't more of a splashy defense with their pressure. Right. And and I will say this, you know, Hughes has always been good in getting off the line of scrimmage. As you mentioned, finishing with sacks has proven a little bit more elusive. He does get hits. He does get pressures, things like that. I'm impressed with Epinesa. For a guy who made the body transformation he had to, and to be this good at 260 when he was scouted as a 280-pound player. 285. You know, that to me, I don't know what it says about the college scouting department, but that's a hell of a projection. You're not only projecting him at 280, you're saying, well, if we get him to drop some weight, it'll be even better. That's kind of a leap of faith there in your own scouting prowess. But in terms of the athletic ability at 260, they nailed that. Now we have to see what comes from it going forward because really, AJ hasn't flashed since what? Week two when he knocked two out of the game? Yeah. I mean, it's, and Greg Rousseau. Yeah, has he kind could. of fallen off here. The last big play he made was in the Chiefs game when he tipped the ball up and intercepted it. You'd think, too, and I, and I get it. We haven't really talked about it. Guys like Rousseau and Basham, maybe Epineza, not as much because it's his second year. Yeah. How many games have they played as a pro? It's, it's kind of getting to the end of their college season, right? They've played a ton Rookie of games. Rookie wall you're talking about yeah, here? They're, they're starting to think, oh, gosh, how long is this going to last? We've got nine games to go, or seven games to go, plus a play. Man, they're probably thinking, man, I need a deep breath. Maybe that's the case. Um, Basham's not – he's been right. active for about half the games, though. That's true. 
But you're talking about three and a, three hours on a Sunday afternoon when six days a week they're still playing football. Yeah, um, it's a grind, and I think that. And let's face it, this coaching staff looks at practice as to who decides going to play. And if they're starting to lag in practice because they're kind of getting beat up by the season yeah. mentally or getting exhausted mentally because of the season, that's why you see guys, you know what, you take a week off because you're not practicing that well. Yeah, That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that with those two, y- two young guys. Same thing with Spencer Brown. Same thing with Tommy, Tommy Doyle. You don't know how they're – you know, looking around and saying, wow, you know, this is, it's, you know, late November and we're, we still got a third of the yeah, season. Yeah, we still, left. we got a lot of stuff. Uh, there's a little bit of that maybe in, in what's keeping Rousseau and Basham from taking another step and maybe yeah. to a certain extent Epinesa. The only player faster than Epinesa through week nine data that was collected was Las Vegas pass rusher Yannick Ngakwe, who you right. tried to guess in the numbers game with a time of 0.73. Now, the more important part of the discuss this, the discussion, Do fast get-off times correlate to pass rush success? The answer is yes. According to a write-up at the538.com, the quicker a pass rusher is at getting off the line of scrimmage after the ball is snapped, the higher the rate of pass rush wins and quarterback pressures. Now, I suppose this makes sense, that speed off the snap gives a pass rusher a better chance at succeeding. It's just it's logical thinking here, right? Like you get off faster, you make it harder on the offensive tackle to stop you because you're getting around the edge quicker. I mean, that, right? It's, right? It is that simple. I mean, you it's have that, to have technique too. It can't just be speed. Well, let's face it. It's a race for the offensive tackle and defensive end to get to a spot where their paths converge. And <laughs> I was sitting at dinner with Bruce like a few nights ago. And we actually actually happened to be having dinner with Frank Reich before the Colts game in the Buffalo. And all these young pass rushers for the Colts were coming up to talk to Bruce, say, hey, I want to talk. You know, they were like picking his brain. You know, the guy's got 200 sacks. Yeah. And they all want to sit down with him and talk to him. And he all he talked about was angles. The, the offensive tackle's dropping straight back to pick up the defensive end. The defensive end's coming from outside and coming back. And the point where they meet is the critical point. If the D.E., if the defensive end gets there first, it's a problem. And getting there first is what get-off is all about. And that's, you know, Bruce talked to, to these young kids about, it's all about the angles, about how far you have to go as opposed to the offensive tackle and where your angles are and where your shoulders are when you get there and your hand placement, how he's going to, you know, all this stuff. And fractions of seconds are what you're talking about. Yep. And that absolutely uh, – and. And I don't want to, you know, go too far down the weeds here, but think about this. Have you ever watched the bobsleds in the Olympics, the bobsledders? Yeah. The most important thing for a bobsled team is the first 35 yards when they're yeah, pushing the that sled. The tenth of a second they gain at the top of that hill means all the difference at the bottom. It's the same when those guys are pushing out of their stance, getting to the point of mesh with an offensive tackle. Yeah, it makes a big difference. That's why out of nowhere – a Caribbean nation like Jamaica said, let's let's <laughs> right. let's jump in a bobsled because we've got world class sprinters. You've got explosion. We've yeah. got world class sprinters. Let's put them in a bobsled. That's right. You've got explosion and that's and that makes a difference. The 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 more you know, the more of an advantage you gain right at the beginning of a play, the more it translates later in the play to yeah. an, your advantage. You have to finish, of course, but certainly that gives you an upper hand, unquestionably. The most important part of this stat is can it offer reliability 
engaging a player's effectiveness from season to season. The low get-off numbers consistently lead to better pass rush win rates and more quarterback pressures, as I said. To a lesser extent, they help with quarterback hits and sacks, but as we know, those are harder to get because you got to finish the play there, and you know we're talking about fractions of a second. Sometimes the quarterback gets the ball out just in time. But this is a metric that is predictive, which is the holy grail when it comes to analytics. So now the question I pose to you, Steve, is knowing this is predictive, is it only a matter of time before this trickles into college scouting? Absolutely. As, as be, a tool to evaluate I pass rushers. I would be shocked if they come out and, and can show in black and white a coaching staff, any coaching staff, that these numbers, we knew these numbers this week, this week, this week, and in that week, that week, that week, it was predictive. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. That it will be, it will be a light switch, and they will start putting it on the film and start getting these guys. Now, here's the problem: it, the GPS, they use the GPS. Yeah, it's in the back of their jersey on the back in the of back their of collar their pads and their collar wherever they put the GPS. Um, don't know if all colleges do that. Certainly, well, some of the Power Five guys. May. And the NCAA comes into play here, right? You know, so that you might have to, you might be talking about doing it on film, which is a little probably less accurate. But if they they're going to start, the word will get out, and they will find a way to well, measure it. And the most, yeah, and and I think it's going to get to a point where players in the NCAA, at, you know, at the college level, are going to say, "Hey, I I need to be wearing this." so that pro teams that are scouting me have the on-field tracking technology yes. that they need to properly evaluate me. And, and I think 100%. before we even get to that step, what you, I think you're going to see in the next year or two is you're going to see college scouts walking around with tracking devices, right. slapping them on the back of them for a workout. That's right. And say, okay, They're here we go. Team. We're going to put them through a workout. Here's our D-line coach working with this guy. Well, here's the What's thing. your get-off? Brent, it'll be the combine. Everybody will get one of the combine. That too. Their pro day, they'll be expected to wear one for their pro day. So all of that will get thrown in there. They'll get a chance to do it, in, you know, with shorts and t-shirts. It just makes too much sense, doesn't it? It'll be shorts and t-shirts, and there'll be some, you know, margin of error because of that. Yeah. Because when you, when you got a guy on the game playing in a game that means something, and you got that thing in there, it's going to be more accurate than it is when the guy's got a, sh- a t-shirt and shorts on r- running against air. So... Uh, but there's no question if this is if this turns out to be predictive, it will spread like wildfire. And even even now at at college pro days, a lot of times they bring their juniors to the college pro day almost as a preview for next year. You know, the ones that haven't declared for the draft. Right. Those scouts are going to slap it on those guys too. Let me put a tracking device on you, so then I can compare your numbers this year to when right. you're coming out next year and see if it holds true year over year. Are you still good? Did you get better? Did you get more explosive? What happened? I mean. There's so the much data here to chew yeah. on. The more the knowledge spreads, the more pervasive it will be. And, you know, you'll get it'll get to the point at some point where they'll use it and say, listen, the, co- the coach has got these recruits coming in as high school seniors or, ju- you know, and they'll <laughs> oh say, my God, you know, we're already at high school. <laughs> right. They won't say they won't do it at high school, but they'll yeah. say, but they'll use it as a recruiting tool for the seniors. Say, yeah, when we get the pros that come in here. We, we use track electronics. We give them the da- the pros, the data, yep. so they have this. So if you're good enough, they're it's one more way they're going to find you. That's that's a big that's a big you know carrot out there for college yeah. recruits, you know high school recruits coming into college. So just to wrap this conversation up on pass rush get off measured by next gen stats, the Bills have the second fastest pass rush get off duo in the league, next to the Raiders, Yannick and Gakwe and Mac 
Crosby, A.J. Epinesa, and Jerry Hughes. Their combined number is .77, the Bills, while the Raiders is .75. What's interesting is the third group on the list is Buffalo's next opponent, New Orleans, with Cameron Jordan and Peyton Turner at .79 seconds. Do you have any concerns about that tandem for Buffalo's offensive line? Knowing that Spencer Brown might miss another game on the COVID reserve list, and John Feliciano may or may not be back off IR. Well, even if they are back off IR, if John Feliciano's back and Spencer Brown's back on the field, you know, Feliciano's been on the shelf for a month. Mm. And Spencer Brown, uh, you know, COVID is COVID. Um, catching his breath may be a problem. So, yeah, it's still going to be – it's a concern. Anytime you've got a team that's that's got a, a – a stat line like that and some guys with some ability like that, it's a, it presents a challenge. Now, there are other challenges that are equally, you know, difficult. Like if they've got a big girth guy who's a big explosion guy, if they've got two yeah. big tackles that come on, that's a different type of challenge. But you got to be ready for that stuff. And you got to like your ability to match up with anybody if you got your best guys on the field. The other challenge, too, is you're already dealing with elite speed off the snap of the football. You're also dealing with the noise in a dome. Yeah. In New Orleans, which can get loud down there, as we know. Don't, so don't forget, though. You know the Bills; those guys practice against Epineza and Jerry Hughes all the time, too. Valid so they point. see him. Uh, it's not something that's going to be like, oh wow. Um, they they've got a pretty good pass rush they face every day in practice as well, so they should have some preparation. All right, good conversation there on pass rush get off. Good to see the Bills have some representatives at the top of the list in that category. Time to jump into FanDuel's latest game, high-low, free-to-play in all 50 states. Every week, Steve and I pick the teams we think will be the highest and lowest in four statistical categories. You can do the same at FanDuel.com slash high-low. Get every pick right, and you could win a million dollars. <laughs> Steve, you get us rolling with the high-low point total teams right. you have for this week. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, but for high point total this week, I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers. They're playing against Minnesota. The Niners can run it, and they're getting it together here late in the season. They're starting to play really good football. They're healthier than they were a year ago, and you know we've seen them get ravaged by injury. They're running the football really well against a Vikings team that can't stop anybody. They're 27th against the run, even at this late part of the season. It's a problem for Minnesota. So I like the Niners to run up some points on the Vikings. All right. What do you got for the low points? For the low points, the Tennessee Titans. Mm. They got they put up 13 points last week against the Houston Texans. Now, the Texans don't play great defense. The Houston Patriots the – Ten, the New England Patriots do, and that's who the Titans have. The mm. Patriots are the number one team in the league against the, against the run, against the deep – against points scored – I, I don't I think Tennessee's gonna struggle against New England. I think and it's gonna if Tennessee has a chance in this game, yeah. it's gonna be like a three to zero game. Ooh. I mean it's gonna be <laughs> points are gonna be in a premium. So the lowest point total, I think it's got to be the Tennessee. Yeah, Titans. I like that pick. Uh passing yards high. I'm rolling with the Buccaneers. They face a Colts team that is among the league leaders for most passing touchdowns allowed. I believe that Tom Brady and company will know how to attack that weakness. Probably better than the Bills did this past week. So I expect Brady to have a big day. Bucks high for passing yards. Low, I've got the Eagles. They're playing really good football right now, but they're doing a lot of it on the ground. They're playing a division opponent that knows them well in the Giants who are going to be smarting after that Monday night loss and are going to try to rally the troops. Jalen Hurts has been very, very productive with his legs, but his passing totals fluctuate a lot. 
from week to week. So for that, I'm going to go Eagles with the low. All right, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of with you. The Eagles I was looking at as well. Rushing yards uh, for the high, I, I'm going to go back to 49ers. I mean, I okay. thought about maybe looking at the Eagles, but no, I'm I'm taking the 49ers. They they run it. Their run game is their identity. They could roll 200 up 200 yards on the on the uh, Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to take them again in this okay. one. And the low. The Miami Dolphins. They got trouble running the football. They face a number two defense in the league in Arizona. I think Miami is going to struggle to run the ball. I think they're going to try and throw it to win that game. And I think they've had trouble running it all yeah, season. Yeah. So I think I think that's an easy pick with Arizona uh, and uh, the Miami game. All right, Sacks. I'm going with that same matchup you just referenced for my high. Panthers are second in the league in sack percentage. And while Tua does get the ball out quick, I think there's going to be some opportunities for Carolina to get home. So Panthers for high in sacks. Low in sacks, I like the Jags this week. Facing a veteran QB in Matt Ryan, I think Jacksonville will have trouble getting home very often. So Jaguars, low on sacks. So yeah, that's, I, said, I was thinking, I said Arizona, it's Carolina that, my, that, that Miami's playing. playing yeah, I, was, right. I was thinking Arizona, it was Carolina. Yeah. Either yeah. way, they're not going to run the ball. <laughs> my, my points still stand. I, was I think just had the wrong. I had the wrong logo in my mind. Yeah. yeah. So that's FanDuel's high-low. Play for free and put your football fandom to the test for a chance to win a million dollars. Visit FanDuel.com slash high-low to get started. And that'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Say that five times fast. <laughs> so you know when our next episode's released. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week, everybody.